to our Think Kingdom podcast. This week, Pastor Antoine continues in our series, The Good Life. Let's hear what God's Word has for us from lead pastor Antoine Lasseter. We were talking about the good life, and I think this is the final, uh, this is the final message in this sermon series. But last week, we asked three questions. What roles do you have? So many of us are parents and spouses and friends and students and siblings, employer, employees. So what roles do you have? The second question is, how do I bring glory to God in those roles? So in raising my children, how do I bring glory to God in raising my children? Um, In how I eat, how I live, how I treat my neighbor, how do I bring glory to God? Um, And then the the last question is, what would Jesus do if he was in my shoes? What would Jesus do if he had your kids? Somebody just said, pray. (laughs) Good answer. Um, And so to have a good life, we have to first go back to God's original plan for life. And so if I were asking you what what does it mean to have a good life, we may have several different answers. Um, But one thing we established this last few weeks is a good life begins and ends with Jesus. And the whole church said amen. Amen. John chapter 10 verse 10 says, a thief, everybody say a thief. A thief comes to steal only, only comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus is saying, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Who wants life in abundance? And so uh, when we look at what Jesus is referring to, uh, in this particular passage, he is actually referring uh, to false teachers as the thief. False teachers bring you into bondage, making you believe that you have to earn your salvation. And this journey that we're on as believers has been co-opted by, at times, Americanism. You didn't know I was going to go there. Went there anyway. Because the reality of it is we have substituted the gospel for the American dream. And so we then determine whether we're blessed or not based on what we have. If I have everything I want, then I have a good life. If I lack any other thing, I must not be praying hard enough. God may not love me like he loves this person. And then we become so competitive that even when, listen, we haven't had a baptism in a couple months, and so now we invite Reconciled Church to come in and we celebrate their baptism because when one church adds to the kingdom, it benefits all churches. We have to divorce ourselves from competing with the same... This is so crazy to me. One person um, does not have more power with God than another. We're all his children. Now, it may be that this person could be more disciplined, but don't you fool yourself. We are not in competition to see what church, who has more power than the next. We have become so competitive in nature that many of us are suffering from anxiety because you were doing good until you looked at someone else. I am in the season of my life where I am being disrupted by the Holy Spirit. Like, why do you do what you do? 
And, and here's the irony. The irony is we build churches with three things. A charismatic speaker, a banging youth department, and hot worship. And what we end up doing is birthing worship services and not churches. And so this Christian journey that we're on, at some point, Justin, what I'm realizing is the reason why people are deconstructing, because in their souls, they say to themselves, it has to be more than this. So they want to blow up the institutions because the institutions now are benefiting themselves. And it's not God's original design. And so I love what Eugene Peterson says, and I know it's uh, paraphrased, but he says, a thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. And if our minds drift to the bigger house, a better marriage only, what are we dreaming of? Good life begins and ends with Jesus. Can I walk with you briefly about the typical progression of the Christian life that most of us have gone through? Y'all ready for this? Well, we begin with an encounter with Christ. Maybe you were younger. And I remember I was 10 years old at St. Paul Baptist Church with a Reverend Dr. James H. Hampton was senior pastor. That's my grandfather. And um, I was sitting, I always, I, every Sunday, Tiffany, I, you know this, um, I was playing pluck football. So I would go, I like literally you have a triangle thing, and then I'd be back there like this. And I would do that every Sunday. But one particular Sunday at 10 years old, I listened. Go figure. <laughs> and I heard the message of Jesus Christ. And at 10 years old, I was like this. I don't know what I'm doing. But I want him to be my savior. And I remember my mom was like, boy, sit down. I was like, no, no. I done heard the voice of God. I got to get saved. I had an encounter with God. And, and, and so most of us, we had an encounter with Christ, perhaps during our childhood. Um, perhaps it were maybe. Um, I didn't know there were Christian summer camps until I got like 40. <laughs> like, that's a thing? You can go to camp and hear about Jesus. I never even knew that. And then some of us, we heard a salvation message, but all of us had this moment. And we started with simple faith. And that was the beginning. And it was very exciting. I mean, it didn't matter what age you were. I mean, we started with Jesus saving us. And it was a beautiful thing. And we started with Jesus. And unfortunately, at times, we didn't end up there, but... You know, that's not my message. But Jesus delivered us from something. He saved us. And sometimes it was running from something to someone for safety. But we had this encounter with Jesus. And we went down the Romans road of Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. We read, we understood, even as kids and some of us understanding it now, that's the Romans road, and we became saved. So we acknowledged our sin. 
Because if we don't acknowledge our sin, we won't value grace. And if we don't value grace, we won't ask for forgiveness. And the saving power that Christ provides, that's being saved. I still have these needs, and these needs are legitimate. But sin causes me to meet those needs illegitimately. And so now we're on this Romans road, and we're saved. But here's what I discovered, that although we were saved... Jesus was our Savior. He wasn't quite our Lord. And so what happens is he gave us peace, and he healed us, and he loves us. He demonstrated his love with people. And over time, we became mature, and simple faith now moves from simple faith as um, beyond Jesus as Savior only to include Jesus as Lord. And sad, sadly, some of us never add the lordship of Jesus Christ to our walk. But maturity is moving toward a life of increasing obedience to the God who saved us. So we went from encounter to now obedience. And something began to stir in us. And then we went from encounter to obedience to involvement. We just began serving around the church. You know how it is. It's like you get saved and now it's like, what do you want me to do? We want you to park cars. Yes, I'm parking cars for Jesus. But that's surface. And many of us get stuck right there for a season. So we're parking cars and then we graduate. We made it to the cafe. Nice. Now we're serving bad coffee with a smile. Yeah, man, we're growing in our faith. But then something begins to stir, and then it's like we're taking these classes and programs, and we're doing, and we do some more. And if you're really lucky, you start moving up the ranks just to do more. And now your time is focused on doing more and being with him less. Before you know it, you come into church in the four walls, you know. See, I always have to say this. The building is not the church, so let's just understand that the building is not the church. But you come to church tired, and you live and you leave just as tired as you came because you're doing and doing. And doing, and it's always the 2080 rule. There's 15 million people in a church, 20 people doing all the work. That was a joke. It's 20% of people doing 80% of the work. Tanya, you got to laugh. You're my wife. Thank you. Um, <laughs> she rolled her eyes at me. All right, so, um, but we keep doing, we keep doing. And before we know it, the doing does no longer satisfy us. And now we feel conflicted because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And now you got you to gotta call back. You got to speak back. And you're just like, he is. But you don't feel it. And your heart is longing for more. And so you do more programs. And we create more programs. We create more things for you to do. And we inconvenience you. 
And then finally, it's that SpongeBob memes. All right, I'm out. You literally, at some point, you either say, I'm out of here, and then you parachute from the programs. But as we watch you, we think you're parachuting from Jesus. So now you're isolated because you're questioning, is this even worth, what are we doing? But we see it as a lack of faith, Justin. Yeah, they walked away from God. No, they walked away from the program. They are decon. I hate using that word. So y'all just got to give me mercy. They are deconstructing from this Christian entertainment disguised as a church. And they're asking questions about if we really love each other, then why the neighborhood across the street suffering while we building bigger buildings? If we really love each other, how come a black motorist dies at the hands of police and we can't even question, is he a human? This is why the church is failing to understand its call. The microscope of the world is literally supposed to be on the church in, in such a way that they say, now, I may not believe they're God, but them folks love each other. But we have a way of eating our own. We have a way of literally killing the wounded. And so we talk about the good life. The good life is just for the elite, the faithful few. Is Jesus playing tongue-in-cheek and loose with his words? He said, I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So where is this abundant life? This is the problem. The world isn't seeking more worship experiences, but other Christians are. So we have conferences like More Faith, How to Have a Great Marriage in 14 and a Half Steps. How to get your money right to get more stuff so you can have more stuff and you just be happy. And then we, we give a couple Christian artists, you know, the platform and it's a Christian conference. And we go home with their books and I got half of all of them <laughs> for disclosure. I got books I didn't know I had. Do you know I got four copies of the same book? <laughs> Something wrong with me, Gina. Something wrong. Even Amazon had to do this. Hey, man, you already got this. We want your money, but buy something else. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry. The point is, if we're not careful, we produce the programs that create the spectators. And we create the programs that create consumers and not contributors. And at best, we get Christian cultural Christians. And so we think persecution is because I maxed out my credit card. And now the enemy is coming after me because I keep buying shoes I can't afford. Whoa, that hit too close to home. My God, help me. So the good life is life that is lived in the center with Christ, not in the margins. Uh, Ryan Rice says it this way. He said, the reality of the situation is that anything we ask of people is from the margin of their lives, not the center. In other words, we are doing things exhausted because we're not living in the overflow of what Christ promised. 
come all that are burdened. And he says, I will give you rest. So we serve empty, we live empty, we're depleted of our joy, and the programs don't bring joy, but a shot of dopamine, an adrenaline rush, a temporary euphoria, a quick fix, and a systemic loss of joy is merely an example of us not understanding that the encounter, the obedience, and then the involvement isn't deep enough. Because many of you here are seeking a deeper experience. When we discover that Jesus cares about our humanity, when we discover that our hearts matter to God, we discover there is healing from the trauma that we've been hiding. And there's a bomb for our wounds. And this is an awakening of the heart. And there it is, the longing. The belief that there is more. Every question asked doesn't mean it's rooted in doubt, but oftentimes we're asking questions because we're seeking clarification. How many times my sons have come to me and asked me questions about things I said, not because they're they wanting to understand. So oftentimes when we ask our siblings to help us understand what the father said, oh, they're leaving the faith. No, they're seeking clarification. And what they want is a deeper relationship with God. But transformation occurs in the trenches. That's where the work is. Transformation usually occurs in relationships, not the programs. But programs, because I'm not saying throw out all the bath water with the baby or the baby with the bath water. Programs should lead people into deeper relationships with others. The programs that we create should lead us into, the, into discipleship with others. But oftentimes, the program itself is the destination. The destination, beloved, is Jesus becoming more like him. And that's why we must marry the head and the heart. If not, and we only focus on the head, then we create giant egos. And we only lead with our mind. When we only lead with our minds, you, you, you hear strategy, plans, and processes, but no prayer. And knowledge without heart breeds arrogance. But the heart without the head is ignorance. So we need both the scripture and the spirit. We need both in order for our hands to be productive. Beloved, we must care for others and know why. For us to be productive, kingdom productive, we must understand that there's a reason for the hope that lies within. Life cannot be lived fully as God designed without his involvement. If we want to live our lives like he designed, he must be involved. John chapter 10 verse 10 says, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. The good life means more than possessions. The good life is rooted and anchored in eternal life. It's the life after this one. Jesus tells us in John chapter 17, verse 3, that this is eternal life. You ready? That they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. 
This is eternal life. It's knowing God through Christ Jesus. The good life is having a heavenly perspective without, without ignoring earthly concerns. The good life is not conforming to this age, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The good life is living for with the fruit of the Spirit. I call it patent pending fruit loops. Fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, Gary, it's the best I could do. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so every situation that happens to us, we have to exhibit, Lord, help me. Lord, I mean, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so it's a fruit loop, a fruit. (laughs) Hey, it is what it is. You write the sermon. All right. So, um, so what ends up happening is that this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control requires our dependency on Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the grace that he provides. A good life means growing, as 2 Peter 3 and 18 says, growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the good life. The good life is growing in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. So, beloved, if you want to have a good life, it's us growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord. Thomas Kempis says it this way. The more a man dies to himself, the more he begins to live unto God. And so the challenge for us is just that. The good life is the lordship of Jesus in every area of our lives. I want you to think now what he is Lord of. And everybody, if you're not careful, he's Lord of everything. So what you still holding on to? Because if he's Lord of it all, then we live our lives like this. But what are we holding on to which makes us Lord? So I want you to just pray through that right now, if you don't mind, right at your seat. It's between you and God. I want you to pray through that right now. Lord, when am I? So the reverend just said, the pastor just said, the good life is the lordship of Jesus in every area of my life. So Lord, Holy Spirit, ask us, Lord, Holy Spirit, where are the areas of my life that I'm refusing to allow you to be Lord of? That's personal. What area of your life that you're still holding on to? And can I give you breadcrumbs for this? It's where your worry and concerns are. You begin to start seeing, am I going to make it? Okay, right, right there, right there. Put a, put a thing in it. So here's three things we have to do in order to live the good life. The first thing, and I'm literally finished. And I mean it, for real. First thing is, we die so we can live. You want a good life, 
John chapter 3, verse 3, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I have to be born again to be able to see how God is operating not only in my life, but in the life of others. There is no entry into the spiritual life without first dying to your old life. There's no entry into the spiritual life without first dying to your old life. Beloved, we are not able to work out our own righteousness. We got to die to ourselves. If we have faith in ourselves, that faith must die. If we think it's about us and our gifts and talents, then this idea must die. It is not our good works that gain our righteousness. But instead, it's his righteousness is given to us when we choose to give him our lives. We gain his life in us when we give him our life. If we must die so he can live. Second point is we must surrender everything in order to keep anything. I want you to hear this. If I want anything from God, I have to surrender everything. But what am I not surrendering? And so I'm surrendering my will. That's how I came to salvation. And then there's a constant act of surrendering my wants and desires. Surrendering is trusting God in uncertain times. Most times when I put my hand to stuff, Danny, I mess it up and make it worse. But I got to do something. So how many times have we not sought God and responded out of our own will? It means that we can't have a spiritual life without hope, joy, peace, and abundance until we surrender everything in exchange for his everything. Sometimes in this journey called life, it seems like we're losing everything. But we can't acquire what he desires for us unless we put everything on the line for him. The third point is we must lose ourselves in order to find ourselves. John chapter 12, verse 25, he who hates his life in this world will keep it. For eternal life, life in comparison to what he promises. So life has a way of this, life has this life that we hold on to. He says you got to leave it and you got to be willing to lose it. Matthew chapter 10 verse 39 says it this way, anyone who finds his life will lose it and anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. So we have to reject self-interest and we are not in relationships merely for our benefits. Sometimes, as I talk to you a lot, Justin, sometimes the challenge I have is the, the ability for us to be serving God and only see people as projects. How do we do that? And we only connect with people who benefit us. Life is messy. We have to lose ourselves. Here's the hard part. We must embrace the suffering and the loss that may come when we choose to follow him. Submitting to his lordship means we may lose relationships, social status, career advancement. 
He is Lord. And so because he's Lord, he has an automatic yes. That's surrendering. So we forsake comfort and convenience. And our faith isn't about esteeming self. It's about denying self and esteeming Christ above all. Lose ourselves. Losing ourselves means we must give up living for ourselves in order to truly discover who we are. We are so busy trying to find ourselves by looking inside ourselves. But we will always come up short in discovering who we are because we are too busy holding on to who we think we are instead of who he says we are. I am who he says I am. You are who he says you are. And we will only find ourselves when we give ourselves away. What do you think baptism is about? The person who lives for himself or herself doesn't ever truly live. And so when I see, like, man, when I see, ah, i get to that in a minute. But when you live for others and for God, you find the truest version of yourself and the best quality of life. I have who I am. I am who I am by giving myself wholeheartedly to God and to others. You want to be great? Serve. You want to be generous? Give. You want to be free? Help others to be free. Everything cannot be about you. And so the good life is summed up in this. First, we have to embrace the good life Jesus offers. When a person comes to the knowledge of Jesus and they begin to walk with Jesus, and they begin to respond to his voice, the Romans road, they are embracing the promise that God gives them. And along this journey, we constantly have to be aware of God's love for us. He loves us. And the thing that I'm understanding, Tiffany, is that if you live long enough, you begin to question his love for you. Because life has a way of being it out of you. And then we have to act in love. So we got to be aware of God's love for you, and we have to act in love. And then the secret sauce. Y'all ready for the secret sauce? Rest in Jesus. But Lord, you know how hard that is. When the storms of the boat, you're in the boat and the storms around you are tossing the boat. We are called to rest in Jesus. And the last thing is live with purpose. If you're here and you have not found your purpose, the question I ask you is, where are you looking for it at? Are you looking for it out there? Or are you looking to God for it? He has come so that we may have life and have it more abundantly. And my soul is the cup that God feels. That concludes this week's message. If you are blessed by anything you heard in today's podcast and you feel led to give, feel free to text the word GIVE to 704-741-3705. And if you are in Kannapolis, Charlotte, or surrounding areas, come on by and visit us 
at 465 South Cannon Boulevard in Kannapolis, North Carolina, Sundays at 1033. You can also join us online Sundays on Facebook and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to us and also check us out on Instagram under Think Kingdom. As always, you can go back and hear this message and so many more right here on our Think Kingdom podcast.